Welcome, I'm Evan Scroggs. I'm one of the members of the session here at South Baton Rouge, and Kelly is actually preaching in St. Francisville this morning, so he asked me to fill in. This morning we're looking at 2 Corinthians, so we've kind of been going through this uh, grace-based spiritual formation, uh, right? And so uh, this week we're going to be looking at what it looks like to live uh, in brokenness and vulnerability. Uh, and so the text we'll be working from is uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 10. And so uh, what we've been kind of, you know, or, or what we're trying to accomplish, I guess, with this session, uh, the objective of this class uh, is discovering the ways in which we try to cover for our weakness, right? Um, the ways in which um, uh, we try to hide, I guess, maybe our inadequacies, um, and, you know, uh, self-salvation strategies that can cause great harm to us, but great harm to uh, those in our lives. Um, and so, hopefully what comes out of this is seeing uh, the good news of the gospel um, that, uh, you know, grace-based, grace-based faith uh, leads to and allows for um, admitting brokenness, living in vulnerability, uh, owning our weakness, uh, and that ultimately it leads to transformation. So um, I, we can't get a ton of context for what's going on in 2 Corinthians just because of time. Um, you know, we're just kind of parachuting into this one spot. But I'm going to give you some as I can as we go along. But one of the big themes for 2 Corinthians uh, is this relationship between suffering uh, and the power of the Spirit in Paul's apostolic life, his ministry, and his message. So I guess, big kind of overview, um, Paul's responding to a lot of criticism that he had received uh, from false teachers in uh, the church in Corinth. And so his critics thought that Paul suffered too much uh, and was too afflicted uh, to really be a spirit-filled apostle. Um, in some ways, uh, the false teachers were early adopters uh, of the health and wealth um, gospel. So with that kind of background, let's, um, let's read the text. I'll pray for us, and then, uh, and then we'll jump in. Um, so this is, uh, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. Uh, hear the word of God. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. But God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except for my weakness." Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me, so to keep me from being too elated by the surpassing greatness of, this revel of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, 
For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let me pray for us. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your goodness. We thank you that you um, show mercy and kindness to your people. We thank you that you have given us your Son. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that um, we thank you that um, in weakness he was crucified, but in power he was raised, uh, and that um, because of the good news of the gospel, um, we can acknowledge our weakness, we can own our weakness, uh, and that your power uh, can be displayed uh, through that. So. Give us grace uh, today that we would be able to hear the good news of Jesus. Um, we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Um, so the outline's pretty simple. Um, and forgive me, I don't have a nice handout like Kelly. You know, Kelly, his handout game is really strong. Mine's not. Um, uh, but it's, so we're going to look at the problem of weakness. Uh, we'll look at the posture of weakness. And then we'll look at the person uh, of weakness. And so... Um, What's the problem of weakness? What's the problem with weakness? It's not comfortable. No. Yeah, and culturally, like we live in a place that values strength, right? I mean, weakness is, is really just sort of an off-putting characteristic or trait. Um, you know, um, it's fairly undesirable to be weak, right? No one wants to be weak or be considered weak. Uh, we get this at a very early age. It's funny, uh, William, my soon-to-be three-year-old, um, he's gotten into this routine now where, like, every morning, every night, he wants to fight. He says, Daddy, let's fight, let's fight. And the first thing he says is, I have strong arms. And so uh, this morning when we were, you know, wrestling and fighting, he said, I said, William, because I knew I was going to use this illustration. I said, William, do you have weak arms? No, 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 no. I have strong arms. So even at an early age, right, like this, this strength is good, weakness, uh, you know, is inadequate, uh, is, is very real, right? Um, think of everything we do to avoid weakness, to hide weakness, to purge weakness, right? Um, you know, the fitness industry, it's an $87 billion a year industry, right? Uh, the cosmetic industry, it's a $262 billion a year industry. Um, you know, think about social media. You know, what you curate, the image that you curate for social media. Um, I, I am really not a fan of professional headshots. I don't like them at all, but in my line of work, it's kind of a a necessary evil. And so uh, we've got this thing coming out um, in a few weeks uh, in, in a publication, and I had to do, you know, another round of headshots. And uh, there's nothing that makes you feel more insecure than being in front of a, a photographer, like, move your head this way, bring your head forward, shoulders down. Like, before you know it, I, I felt, I was like, I told him, I said, I feel like I'm learning how to swing a golf club. Like, you know, there's all these variables and I'm not doing any of them right. And so, uh, but literally, we probably took 100 pictures to get one good one that was the right image, right? Um, and so, like, it, it, 
it's everywhere, right? I mean, you're, you're curating uh, this image to put your best foot forward. I, I think about the phrase, you know, um, in, 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 in fitness or in training, you know, that pain is just weakness leaving the body, right? Like you're purging weakness from your body. Um, one way that this was seen kind of in my own life in a very real way, and not knowingly at the time, but as, we, as I came to this text and I was reflecting and thinking, it was like, man, that is exactly what was going on. Um, and some of y'all probably saw it. So back in June, um, you know, we, we, Claire and I went out to Las Vegas with my company. You know, it was a big kind of, we were pitching this group of presidents, all this stuff to, to be essentially our own commercial real estate office here in Baton Rouge. And um, on the way home, well, the day before, I had a gout flare. And gout's something I've had for the last, I don't know, three years, and I've been on medication for it. And, uh, and it was a bad flare. Most people get gout in their big toe. I get it in my heel. And so you probably saw me limping around for the month of June, uh, you know, on Sunday mornings. Well, um, we're flying back, and we're flying out of Vegas. We have a connecting flight in Dallas. I've got my entire team with me, right? We brought everybody out there. So it's me and a bunch of young guys. I'm the oldest guy by like six or seven years. Two of my partners in this, you know, venture, they are, they're former professional athletes. They're young, right? And, um, and so I can't hardly walk through the airport. I mean, my foot is killing me. And Claire looks and says, um, Evan, let's just get a wheelchair for you and roll you through the airport. <laughs> and I'm like... Absolutely not. I mean, I am going to maintain, even if I'm hobbling, I was like, I, you know, I, I am going to not have this image, you know, with all my partners of look at the old man who's weak, right? Here's what's funny about that. That flare came up because I was actually trying to, um, I would say, hide my weakness, right? So, 48 hours before, I'm giving this pitch on a Sunday afternoon. We fly out Saturday. It's Friday night, and I look at Claire, and I was like, you know, first six months starting this company, I have not been on it with going to the gym. I'm not in great shape right now. I know it. I feel it. I said, you think I can cut 10 pounds in 48 hours ahead of, uh, <laughs> ahead of this uh, venture capital presentation? You know, I'll be a room full of, you know, successful guys. Like, I can do it. So, uh, Eliminated carbs, limited water intake. Our flight was 7 o'clock uh, Saturday evening. Um, at like 1 o'clock Saturday afternoon in 100 degrees South Louisiana heat, I'm push mowing my yard to sweat out as much as I can. And so I dropped 8 pounds. It was, you know, all water weight, sure, uh, but was feeling great. And um, little did I know, gout really likes when you're dehydrated, when you've consumed too much protein, and then you add a little bit of alcohol to the mix, it flares. And so all of this effort to like kind of hide my weakness actually exposed my weakness. Uh, and so I think that's something where, you know, you can see it in your spiritual life as well. And so the invitation of the gospel is really own your weakness, right? Because Jesus, um, uh, you know, his grace is sufficient. And that's really the point that we're getting to. Um, right? So... Um, how do we typically respond to our weakness, right? I just talked about what I do, but um, a lot of times it leads to insecurity, right? Um, it's certainly not something we'd boast about. It's something we'd hide. Uh, we can become defensive. We can become fearful. Um, 
uh, we can become anxious. Um, uh, you know, it, it, it can, uh, the vulnerability can become so much that ultimately it can just lead to hiding. Um, and so I would tell you that this is a risk and a danger, not just for us individually, but if the way that we deal with our weakness, if we create a culture within you know, a group setting or within the church um, where we're hiding from our weakness or um, we're defensive about our weakness um, or we gossip about other people's weakness because of our own insecurities, um, then uh, I think it can lead to a toxic environment. And so our attempts to manage and control the problems, um, you know, what we've developed to, to mitigate that, they're not sufficient, right? Uh, and I think you feel it. I think I feel it. And so the question is, what's the solution, right? What's the solution? And I would suggest that it's this, and it's our second point, is that we adopt a posture of weakness, right? Uh, so if the problem of weakness is... is um, our hiding from it and uh, the insecurity and the defensiveness uh, that it creates, uh, then the solution is to adopt a posture of weakness. And so the question is, what does a posture of weakness look like? Um, and so let's look at Paul, right? Um, what does Paul say down in verse 10? Right, he says, for the sake of Christ then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecutions, and calamities. Uh, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Um, this idea about, about being content in all of those things. I think about all the good things in my life that I'm discontent with. And Paul's saying, and be content with all of the bad, right? Um, and so I think it helps to understand maybe the broader context of this passage. Um, to understand where Paul's coming from, right? Um, so Paul's in the middle of defending his ministry. Um, false teachers, they had infiltrated the church. Um, and so, and this was while Paul was away. Uh, and through multiple letters, so 2 Corinthians is actually the fourth letter that we have, or is the fourth letter that Paul had written. Um, we don't have uh, the other two. Um, but uh, the majority of the church, right, had repented and turned from these false teachers, um, but there was, a, there was still this minority group um, in the church that were, was following these false teachers. And so Paul's defending his ministry. He's kind of laying out his resume. Um, and when you think about a resume, like normally you're putting kind of your best things on that, right? I mean, it, it is a very um, polished kind of best foot forward sort of document. Um, but what does Paul boast about? Um, well, if you go back and look at chapter 11, uh, starting in verse 21. Let me read that for us. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. So in those first few parts, right, he's getting to this like, um, uh, you know, the meritocracy, aristocracy thing. He's saying, I've got the lineage, right? So he's done that. And you think, okay, where is this going? 
what, what, what's the meritocracy side? What's he going to talk about? What has he done uh, that, that's going to uh, kind of lend credence to who he is? Listen to what he says. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes lest one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak, and am I not weak? And then who is made to fall, and am I not indignant? And so, you know, Paul boasts of his hardships. He's boasting of his failures. He's boasting of his trials, right? Um, He's not featuring all the wins that he's had. He's not talking about his successes. He's not talking about, okay, you know, I planted this church here, and these people were led to Christ, and these are the successes we've had. He's not boasting in any of those things, right? Um, You know, in 11 verse 30, he says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Um, And so the question is why, right? Why is that his mindset? Uh, And I think it takes us um, back to chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, right? where he says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, right? For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so I think that's, that's right, that's the model. I mean, that's, that's the hope of the gospel is to say there's freedom in Christ to admit to weakness because that's when the power of Christ and the strength of Christ can be revealed, right? Um, We don't have to have the curated resume and the curated social media profile. We can can own our failures. Uh, We can own our sin. Uh, We can own our brokenness. Um, So, I guess the question for us, you know, if that's Paul's response, if that's what a biblical response looks like, uh, how do we respond to hardships? How do we respond to insults? How do we respond to persecution uh, or calamities? Right? What does it look like for us to model uh, biblical weakness? And that's not rhetorical. Y'all can answer that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, so not to run from it, not to try to immediately get out of it. I think, too, when we, we are free to share when we're struggling or hardship uh, or not to try to put on this image of I got it all together. Mm-hmm. We're open about what's going on with us and we're real. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. Yeah, so um, I, think, I think, you know, when was the last time we admitted we were wrong? And like, how easily do you admit when you're wrong, right? Um, <laughs> have you ever admitted to being wrong? <laughs> um, uh, you know, the posture of weakness is being able to boast about your weakness uh, and not do whatever you can to hide that weakness, right? Um, and I think the natural outworking of this and kind of the application of all of this uh, in the posture of weakness is really um, a life marked by repentance. So I think that's the question, right? Do we repent? And how do we repent? Um, uh, and, and not just right before God, but how do you repent to your friends or your coworkers or to your spouse? Um, how do you repent to your children, right? To those that really have nothing to offer you, um, uh, you know, I mean, certainly love, affection, those sorts of things, but, uh, but they hold no position of power over you, right? How do you repent to them? How do you model repentance uh, to your children? Um, you know, when Claire and I were going through pre- premarital counseling, one of the things that was talked about frequently was um, that within a marriage relationship, and I would say really within any relationship, but um, the currency with which you deal with one, or, one another in is forgiveness and repentance, right? And so I know, like, there, there, are, there are a thousand things that can happen in a relationship that can lead to broken relationships. Um, but one of the things I would suggest is that uh, in strained or failing relationships, there's probably a lack of forgiveness and repentance, Right? Um, and so for relational health, um, you know, if forgiveness and repentance is the norm and not the exception, um, I think you're probably going to have a healthier relationship. I I think the question for us at South Baton Rouge, right, how how are we doing with that? How how do we do that as a church, right? Would you say we're marked as a people um, that is often... Uh, and frequently and actively looking for ways to repent and forgive. Um, And so we're going to look at kind of a picture of repentance. We're doing okay on time. Um, From the Gospel of Luke in a familiar parable, um, a case study of sorts, but I think it will help us draw out maybe some more application with regards to repentance. So, um, Luke 15, uh, verses 11 through 32, the parable of the prodigal son. Um, I'm sure it's familiar, but let's take uh, a brief look if we can. Um, Does somebody want to read that for us? Would anyone volunteer to read um, Luke 15, 11 through 32? There are no takers. I will read, but you'll do it, Michael. Thanks.
All right. Thanks, Michael. Um, so a couple questions. What are the younger sons, uh, what does the younger son's actions show about what he believed about his father? Okay. Yeah, yeah, so didn't value his father, just wanted the inheritance. This was, you know, before, this was kind of the life before repentance. Um, but yeah, didn't value his father, just wanted what his father could give to him. But what else? What else does it show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He knew his father would accept him back. Yeah, I think he knew that his father was was loving, right? That that all of the foolishness that he had done and the selfish things he'd been a part of, right? It didn't um, it, it did not negate his father's love for him. That his father would accept him back. What did he want from his father? What did the younger son want from his father? Forgiveness, okay, more forgiveness, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can see, yeah, Father, I've sinned against you uh, or against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But what does he say? What's that next line? He says what? He says, treat me as one of your hired servants. So his expectation, he's like, man, he's going to accept me, but maybe I can just be a hired servant. And what does the father do? He doesn't treat him as a servant, does he? <laughs> like, I mean, he slaughters the fattened calf. He gives him a robe, right? I mean, he gives him all of the good things. Um, so the question is, what do you think about the father's reaction to the younger son? What do you think about that? Like, if you're really honest, like, is, is that something where you're like, right on? Or is it a part of you, or is there a part of you that thinks maybe he was too gracious or too kind? too forgiving. Like maybe the son should have done like a six-month probationary period as a servant, you know, and then we'll reevaluate, right? What do the older son's actions say about what he thinks of the father and what he believes about the father? What's that? Didn't think it was fair. Yeah. Why? Why didn't he think it was fair? He was focused on himself. He focused on himself. Yeah. Performance means reward. Yeah. Yeah. So, one of the things that I kind of wish would just die in the Christian vernacular is this phrase like, oh, he or she is a strong Christian, Right? That's an oxymoron. There's no such thing as a strong Christian. If you're a Christian, by definition, it means you're weak, right? But by all accounts, like on the outside, we would have looked at the older son and said, that's a strong Christian. This clown over here who's with prostitutes and pigs, like, you know. And look at how Jesus in this parable kind of turns this thing on its head and says, 
the younger son actually gets it. Like, he understands forgiveness. Um, the older son, he has a little ways to go, right? Um, um, yeah, both are seeking the father's blessing. One thinks it uh, only comes through merit and is earned. The other understands that it's unmerited, it's not earned, but it's freely given, right? Um, and so I think that kind of, you know, shows us a little bit about what repentance looks like and, and the outflow of, of receiving forgiveness. Um, I, so the challenge for us, right, is seeing repentance as a lifestyle, right? Not just kind of um, you go to confession, you know, or maybe you have a Friday night meeting with your wife at the end of every week and say, I send this, I did this, this, and this against you. Please forgive me. Okay, we've checked that box. But like a life of humility, right? I find that a lot of times I sin against Claire and I don't even know it <laughs> until she brings it up, right? And then I'm usually slow to even acknowledge it, you know? Um, yet repentance reminds us of reality, right? That we're not perfect, um, that our lives are not defined by our successes, but they're also not defined by our weaknesses and our failures, right? But they're defined by God himself uh, and the way that he forgives our sin and the way that he transforms our weakness um, into what can be beautiful moments of grace and beautiful moments of glory, um, right? Repentance acknowledges that God uh, and his, acknowledges God and his role in our life and in our world, right? Um, yeah, the younger brother chose repentance, but the older brother refused. So I think for us to reflect on is this. How do I know if I'm living like the older brother? Right? Don't be the older brother. Well, how do you know if you're living like the older brother? Here are a few questions. Uh, do I hold on to anger rather than acknowledge my anger and try to work and process through that? Um, do I often find myself grumbling and complaining, right? Um, I would tell you our family is probably marked by being a family of complainers. <laughs> our children get it honestly. Uh, they see their father complain. Um, yeah, and do I have a hard time of letting go of offenses, right? When someone has done something against me, do I have a hard time letting that go? Boy, that, that, that's just a soul-crushing thing. I, I, did a, I, did a, um, <laughs> I did a personality profile for this business coaching stuff I'm doing right now, and um, one of the things that, like, I'm kind of, I was processing through with this coach is, you know, some things that happened, I don't know, eight or nine months ago now, and how I just thought, like, man, when time, like, enough time goes by, I'll just kind of be over it. And it's still as fresh today as it was when it happened, you know, back in December and January. And, uh, and, and one of the things she said, like, she was like, personality, and I, and I told her, <laughs> you know, I recorded the interview so Claire could listen to it and, you know, like, understand. And what happened eight or nine months ago wasn't Claire, it was something business-related, but... Um, I told her, I was like, you know, I know as a Christian, I need, like, I should be able to forgive and let this go, and like, I should move on. And she's like, 
your personality kind of disposition, that's going to be a challenging thing to do. And it's like, when it comes to this, it's like, God, I'm weak. I, I can't do this sort of level of forgiveness on my own. It's only going to be by and through your spirit, right? Um, yeah, so the question is, how do we take on a posture of weakness? How do we begin to live a lifestyle of repentance? And the answer is in the text we read. How do y'all think that happens? Draw close to God, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, if you have the red letter Bible, I'll tell you it's the only section in red. <laughs> right? It's by believing verse 9. Like working that into your hearts. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So yes, it is the Holy Spirit working in your, in your heart. It is the, you understanding that the grace of God is sufficient for you, right? Being satisfied with that. My grace is sufficient. Um, and that's the freedom of the gospel, right? That allows you to own your weakness. It allows you to own your brokenness. Um, there is great freedom in that, right? We don't have to be like the older son trying to win affection through our merit. Um, um, that's the only way that, you know, repentance will become a way of life. Um, and so we'll finish with this, right? We've got just a few minutes, and this gets to our third point. That sort of reality, right, that sort of lifestyle, that only comes through knowing and resting and being united to who we're going to call the person of weakness. And so that's Jesus, right? Um, you may say, wait, Jesus is weak. What are you talking about? Well, Paul actually refers to Jesus that way uh, a chapter or two or a chapter later in, in 2 Corinthians 13, right? He talks about how Jesus was crucified in weakness. Uh, you can jump back and look at kind of, you know, Old Testament prophecy, particularly to um, Isaiah, which, you know, every Christmas Nathan does a sermon on the suffering servant out of uh, Isaiah 53, and, and just a few things that come from there, right? Um, he had no form, right? The prophet talks about Jesus. He has no form or majesty, no beauty. He wasn't attractive by worldly, worldly standards. Uh, he was despised. He was rejected. He was acquainted with grief, right? Uh, it actually says people hid their faces from him. Um, yeah, he was not esteemed, right? None of what Isaiah 53 talks about with the person of Jesus do you look and say, that dude's strong. By worldly standards, we'd all look and say, that's a picture of weakness, right? Um, and yet, God's power was displayed through Christ. Think about the way Jesus came into Jerusalem, uh, you know, on uh, Palm Sunday leading into Holy Week. How did he come into Jerusalem? Do you remember? On a donkey. On a foal of a donkey. <laughs> He didn't get a full-grown donkey. He got the foal of a donkey, right? Yeah, on a donkey. He wasn't a king coming in on a war horse, right? He was on the foal of a donkey. Um, yeah, think about um, Christ on the cross, right? Jesus on the cross, Matthew 27, 39 through 44. 
All right, let me just read this for us. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him saying, he saved others, yet he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. Right? Even in his last moments, Jesus was being criticized as being weak, right? And that's the way God works. That's the nature of the kingdom that Jesus is bringing and that Jesus has brought, right? That he wins by losing, right? That God demonstrates his strength through weakness, that God brought about justice for his people through the greatest injustice the world has ever known. Um, right? Think about the Sermon on the Mount, what we're working through now in the Beatitudes, right? Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, right? So that word blessed can be translated as happy. And so it's saying happy are the sad, right? Happy are those who mourn. That sounds utterly backwards, right? That, that, that doesn't make sense. Uh, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The meek are the ones that are going to win? <laughs> when has meekness been successful, right? Um, right? Strength is the value of the day. Um, foolish are the wise. To be first is to be last. Uh, to save your life, you must lose it. To be strong, you must be weak, right? The kingdom that Christ is building, uh, it feels counterintuitive. It feels upside down to us. It's an upside down kingdom with an upside down king. Um, and Jesus was. He was crucified in weakness, but he was raised in power, right? The resurrection was real power. And while Christ's first coming, he was on a foal of a donkey, flip forward to Revelation and look and see the way he comes back. <clears throat> I can never talk about Revelation without getting choked up. Right? He's on a war horse. It is a victorious king because he's making all things right and all things new. Right? It's the good news of the gospel. It's an invitation to you. It's an invitation to me. Embrace your weakness. Rest in the person of weakness. Rest in Christ. Uh, for his power is made perfect in our weakness and his grace is sufficient. Let me pray for us. <clears throat> Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. Uh, we thank you that he is uh, our suffering and dying Messiah, but he is also our risen King who reigns in glory with power. Uh, we thank you that you give us your spirit. Uh, we thank you that the gospel frees us to own our failures, to own our weakness, to own our brokenness, um, to admit our sin, uh, to repent, uh, not just to you, but to one another. Give us hearts that are quick to repent and quick to forgive. Uh, build that sort of culture within this body here. Oh, Lord Jesus, we ask these things with uh, great hope and expectation because uh, we know you give us your spirit. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.